Welcome to The World in 10, the Times of London's daily update on the biggest stories from around the world. I'm Rebecca Myers. And I'm Laura Cook. Today, we take a look at the war in Ukraine from a different side. A battle within a battle. The war in the air. The best pizza in New York. And we also ask why the devastating floods in Italy have happened. And can anything prevent them in future? a fascinating piece of analysis from a leading academic about a side of the war that's attracted increasing attention in recent weeks, the war in the air. He describes it as a battle within a battle and an extraordinary game of cat and mouse. There are far fewer aircraft and they operate mainly away from the front lines, he says. Instead, there are satellites, missiles, air defence batteries, electronic waves Jammers, scammers, decoys and drones. We went down to the Sunday Times newsroom to speak to Ben Hoyle, the assistant foreign news editor, about the piece. We asked Michael Clark to write for us this week uh, about the air war in Ukraine. Michael is visiting professor in defence studies at King's College London and a real expert on the strategic aspects of what's happening in the war. He argues that for all the attention focused on the long-anticipated counter-offensive by Ukraine against Russia, the real key indicator of what direction the war is about to take is in the skies. Particularly, it's in the fight for the skies over Kiev. In May, Russia has launched what Kiev has described as an unprecedented barrage of attacks on the capital city, waves and waves of missiles aimed at the city itself and infrastructure around it. Most of these missiles have been shot down by the Ukrainians, typically using anti-missile devices that they've received from the West in recent weeks and months. But Michael argues that all across the country, the fight for control of the skies is critical to what's going to happen next, because it's only with at least parity in the air that you can safely attack the Russians or that the Russians can fight back against the Ukrainians. And that if either side is able to gain a decisive advantage in the sky, that will settle the matter on the ground as well. We told you yesterday how Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky was expected to attend the G7 summit in Japan. Well, he has safely arrived in Hiroshima, touching down in a French government plane and hoping to make the case to the world leaders that his forces need more support to fight Russia. In the last 24 hours, the United States have given the green light for F-16 fighter jets to be sent to Ukraine. And President Zelensky said this will greatly enhance our army in the sky. Here he is talking to French President Emmanuel Macron, reflecting on the decision. I want to thank you and all the partners about this decision, about training mission. It's really, really very, very important. Meanwhile, Russia has warned the West they'll be running colossal risks if they carry out this pledge. The Sunday Times political editor Caroline Wheeler explains how the decision from President Joe Biden did come as a surprise. The message was always, no, 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 we can't possibly do this. It's not going to happen. And even earlier this week, there was a big editorial in the New York Times which suggested that this request was going to be resisted. Uh, So the fact that this has suddenly uh, happened all at once is pretty much testament to the the great job that uh, some of those Western allies, in Britain in particular, has done in banging the drum for Ukraine. 
And on his way to the G7 meeting, Zelensky unexpectedly also joined a summit of Arab leaders in Saudi Arabia in another gesture of diplomacy. He said he wanted to enhance bilateral relations and Ukraine's ties with the Arab world. You're hearing there the sounds of rescue workers wading through waist-high flood water that has devastated areas in northeastern Italy. So far claiming the lives of 14 people, it prompts a debate about why the country has been so badly hit and how it can protect itself from worsening weather. An estimated 15,000 people have been evacuated. Helicopters there reaching these people stranded. Billions of euros worth of damage has been caused. And this isn't the first time that Italy has faced environmental crises. As James Imam writes in The Times today, last year 12 people died in a landslide caused by heavy rainfall. 11 died in flooding in September and an avalanche in the Alps during a heatwave claimed another 11 lives. The number of extreme weather events recorded last summer was five times the amount registered a decade ago as well. So why is this happening and what is being done to prevent it? Firstly, why it's happening, critics are saying it's political short-termism. Decades of unregulated building in some regions. Emilia Romana is cited and that's the area badly affected. It was the third highest region in Italy for the increase in land consumption. So what's the answer? That's the big question. Italian ministers have hastily pulled together a plan, the Hydraulic Engineering Master Plan, which includes the construction of dozens of dams, basins and systems to direct river water into the sea. The Environment Minister has been quoted as calling for less bureaucracy and fewer committees so these preventative measures can be implemented more quickly. practically illegal not to eat pizza when you're in New York. <laughs> I remember the controversy when Barack Obama said he preferred New York pizza to the Chicago famous oh, deep, no. dog. Yeah, deep dish. Anyway, that is even more controversial, perhaps, than with the current controversy, which is over portable electric ovens. Well, that's right. These small electric or propane-powered ovens are popping up all over the city in bars and breweries, and one even prompted one of New York's leading restaurant critics to say, everything I knew about New York pizza was wrong. Huge news. Huge, Huge. news. <laughs> and Will Pavia, the Times New York correspondent, he's done a brilliant piece about this new craze, and this story really does have it all. It's got pizza consultants quoted, the history of New York pizza, and even this brilliant fact that we actually have gas ovens to thank for the scene in Saturday Night Fever when John Travolta eats a slice while sort of swaggering through Br Brooklyn. <laughs> Apparently, they made the bottom crispy enough for him to hold it in shape. Not his bottom crispy no, enough. No. The pizzas. Who knew? Who knew? Now, a great showdown is expected tonight in Dublin and hopes of an end to a murky past. 139.7 for Katie Taylor. 139.7. Both boxers there weighing in last night ahead of tonight's big event, the super lightweight showdown. And out of the scale, Chantel Cameron. The same, 139.7, 139.7 for the defending world champion. Now, my claim to fame, I don't have many, but I've actually been in the ring with Chantel Cameron. In a, in a previous life, I did an interview with her as she was getting famous. 
I, I mean, I didn't box because <laughs> that would absolutely huge. terrify me. But she was on the up and clearly going places which she which she now is. There so that's go. one of my claim to fame. A World in 10 exclusive insight. Almost actually. a black eye from Chantelle Cameron. <laughs> that's That truly is almost, almost <laughs> fame itself. Well, as Mark Robinson writes in today's Times, this is Taylor's first appearance in front of a home crowd in Dublin. And she's perhaps the most high-profile Irish boxer to have been affected by the unofficial ban on professional boxing events in Ireland following the 2016 gang shooting of a man at a Dublin weigh-in. And she's been praised for her devotion to the sport, making her Ireland's most beloved sportsperson over the past decade. That's all for today, but we have a look ahead at tomorrow's episode for you. Yes, the Sunday Times magazine has their annual Rich List, a much-anticipated event for many readers. And here's John Arledge talking about meeting one of the names appearing tomorrow. I met GP Hinduja in the old war office, which is a great place to meet someone because they spent 1.25 billion on a building and they're a multi-billionaire. This seems to be a good start. Uh, And he was charming. I mean, you know, he had a big, fantastic investment to show off. Uh, I've seen some of the apartments, which are amazing, too. He was relaxed, happy. Obviously, the the, the family divisions have caused some 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 disquiet for him. But he was yeah, he was chatty and, 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 and fun. And I guess. I guess that's the point of being a billionaire, isn't it? If you, if you can't sort of enjoy yourself, when why bother? Well, thank you for joining us today. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the journalism you heard on this podcast, you can take out a digital subscription to the Times of London. 